So uh, I have been observing my uh, kids uh, when he was um, learning to walk. I never asked a question on um, when he can graduate from walking in order to go running. So um, that is interesting because he just know when he need to run. So that would be an indirect way to answer the question that when you feels like you are ready to run, you just run. So again, uh, for a startup company, it could be anything. It could be from um, a university can only accommodate up to like eight, seven, I mean, seven, eight people in, uh, in the lab. And then if you need um, 20 people to work uh, um, on the process, a pram, for example, especially when you have one or two or three customers with different um, customer requirements, then you will need a bigger space. And then that's how you know it is the time to get out of the warm blanket. It is time to be out there. It is time to see the whole world. Welcome back to How It's Met, the podcast where we chat with people shaping the future of healthcare and health tech. Here, we learn from venture capitalists, physicians, and your occasional multi-patent holder in order to understand their stories, secrets, and skills so that you too can contribute to a healthier, happier future for us all. This time around, we rejoin a conversation with Lynn Lee, a current pharmaceutical sciences entrepreneur in residence at UBC, as well as a founding partner of BioBioPlastics. Last time, we learned about Lynn's journey as inventor in the States and his experience as a tech transfer officer. This time around, we rejoin Lynn to learn about his takes on IP commercialization in Canada. Let's get started. Um, so what exactly does the tech transfer office do other than specifically finding different uses? How do different universities, from your perspective, both from a Canadian as well as previously an American standpoint, differ when it comes to how universities are willing to uh, keep uh, some more of the equity versus let go of a bit more to ensure that the founders are able to succeed? Mm -hmm. um, I think that uh, throughout my experience working with several Canadian uh, universities along with um, a couple of uh, US-based uh, university tech, tech transfer office, um, I think that there is no right or wrong answer in terms of what is the right amount of equity that um, university uh, would like to uh, retain. Um, I think that it's really depending on the strategic um, uh, direction of each university and also depending uh, on the timeline. So, for example, um, MIT, uh, as, you, as, as we all know, that they are very open with their uh, with their IP, um, so the IP actually belong to um, the, um, if I remember correctly, still belong to the PI, and then MIT just have like a small amount of equity um, retained for MIT um, spin-off. But then at the same time, MIT and Harvard create a huge ecosystem in uh, Boston area. So startup literally come up every single day. The same thing or similar thing happened in um, Stanford, for example. And then I strongly believe that uh, for certain verticals, such as sustainability or maybe some biotech, Vancouver is, is, is becoming the next hub in, in entrepreneurship. Mm -hmm. 
Well, well, apart from your obvious biases as someone who works uh, with Vancouver centers, why why do you say that Vancouver is becoming the next hub? I do believe that Vancouver is becoming a next hub for a couple of reasons. Uh, Vancouver is a beautiful city. Uh, it attracts a lot of um, talent coming um, to the city. Um, Vancouver has a great work-life balance. I mean, um, I'm working out of uh, the office here in UBC where I can uh, look over the uh, the beach and also and also mountain uh, the same time. So obviously, I am biased. Um, and then the other thing that I'm seeing is that um, COVID really helped people with the ability to work remotely. So for example, for me, um, as you um, stated uh, from the beginning of the, this podcast, I'm wearing too many hats. I'm working with my team in Vietnam for the biodegradable plastic. I am consulting with a couple of um, companies in the US. Uh, and then at the same time, I'm here um, in UBC, working with EADUBC and also pharmaceutical science, trying to help the next generation entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it seems like there's there's lots of jobs and connections uh, that are being stacked into the BC ecosystem. But to turn the tide of the conversation back into, I guess, the commercialization pathway, what we haven't really touched on is kind of the the step-by-step process that someone needs to take if they have an idea that uh, they want to commercialize. So say someone has patented or has an idea about process A, right? How would they turn process A into a commercializable product uh, from your point of view if process A was built within a university lab? Can you take us step by step so we can understand how someone should approach this problem and who they should reach out to? Hmm. Yep, I can definitely... Uh, help uh, with that uh, particular trend of thought. Here, here's how I will be doing it. Assuming that I am working in a lab, uh, and then I am again co-inventor of a uh, process A. Uh, as you said, um, process A is super cool because uh, it's better than the current incumbent process B. Uh, process A is about two hundred times uh, faster. Is about a thousand times more uh, efficient. I'm sold. Then, I'm sold. Yeah, exactly. But still, who cares, right? The processor is is good. Engineering wise, cost wise, is 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 awesome. But then, who cares? I would think that at that time, I would have to go out and then validate that actually this process A, even though it's better than process B. But people willing to use it or not? That would be my first step. Step one: Does people care? And once people care, once people showing that, yeah, I would love to work with Process A. However, Process A need to be improved in this and this and this. And then that's how I'm going to go back to the university. I'm saying that, yes, I know that I am. I'm still a PhD student. I know that I am working within the university lab. I know that the patent or the uh, patent application should be assigned to the university. But here is a proof. I have been talking with um, customer 
X and Y and Z, and then they love to work with the process A, which is I am the co-inventor. I would love to work with you from the tech transfer office in order to help me not only filing the patent protection, but then also I would love to continue to be incubated within university. So mm -hmm. that is exactly why startup from the beginning, especially university spin-off, should stick within the university ecosystem for as long as possible because university is there to help you. So that is step two. You can basically um, form the company, incorporate the company, um, staying within the university ecosystem, prove that process A really matter. You can continue to improve on the process A. Let's call that you have the process A prime. Customer would like to buy it. Okay continue to bootstrap, and that's how you're going to validate process A or the improvement of the process A prime would actually be um, having a value proposition for the customer. Now is the time to go into the university and talk to them. I would like to exclusively license the whole patent portfolio. It is time for me to graduate from the bootstrapping stage, I will be going out, I will rent our own facility, I will continue to build uh, the technology, and then we're going to reach out to 100 more customers. So that would be the scaling up process. And then I would hope that by that time, any grad student or PI or postdoc would be able to um, gravitate around enough people to make it really the business. Mm -hmm. I think, so that, that was a very clear, I guess, outline in terms of you've got a rough product, it offers some theoretical benefit, and you need to, number one, uh, define the interest from industry or the industry standard or the incumbent, um, and also have conversations with the tech transfer office early on to secure ongoing incubation whereupon you can make improvements enough so that you're eventually able to spin off from the university two questions kind of spin off no pun intended uh from your story there though number one is when exactly do you file that patent because if you have those conversations with industry sources about process a before you follow that patent, doesn't that invalidate your 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 exclusive right uh, to that specific idea? Shouldn't you approach the patent office sooner rather than later? Sure. So let's answer that uh, first question right now. Um, so uh, as we all know, that the patent actually needs to be submitted before the public disclosure. And then, yes, uh, theoretically speaking, it, it would have been better if a process A would be protected uh, before talking with any um, outside um, parties. Um, and then, to be honest, uh, filing a um, patent is relatively uh, simple. I've done this many times, and then um, even a Canadian um, company or Canadian entity or Canadian person, um, they can submit the U.S. provisional patent. And then the U.S. provisional patent uh, literally take like a week for anyone to write. As long as you pass the non-obviousness test, as long as you uh, make a couple of 
um, check mark in terms of pattern application. That's how you become a pattern application. That's how you're going to find your first pattern application. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. So it's a relatively simple process. Do it as early as possible. The second question would then be, um, if you're using your time being incubated within the university to improve process A into process A prime and grow your network of interested parties and supportive parties such that you can finally spin off into the community, at what point do you know that you're ready? Because theoretically, you could always stay safe and warm, incubated in the university and never have to leave because it's so warm. It's like getting out of bed. You never want to get out of bed because the blankets are so warm. At what point do you know that, hey, I kind of need to get up now and make sure that I'm able to actually realize what this company should be instead of just staying within this blanket of warmth that a larger institution provides? Yeah, uh, that is a very interesting question. Um, so uh, I have been observing my uh, kids uh, when he was um, learning to walk. I never asked a question on um, when he can graduate from walking in order to go running. So um, that is interesting because he just know when he need to run. So that would be an indirect way to answer the question that when you feel like you are ready to run, you just run. So again, for a startup company, it could be anything. It could be from um, the university can only accommodate up to like eight, seven, I mean, seven, eight people in, uh, in the lab. And then if you need um, 20 people to work uh, uh, on the process, a pram, for example, especially when you have one or two or three customer with different um, customer requirement, then you will need a bigger space. And then that's how mm -hmm. you know it is the time to get out of the warm blanket. It is time mm -hmm. to be out there. It is time to see the whole world. So basically, once you outgrow that blanket. So then I guess this flows naturally into the next part of the conversation, which is the value of commercialization support programs, such as that which you provide expert review for, such as uh, NMIN strategic initiative, uh, KTE and commercialization support program. First of all, what a mouthful. And second of all, what value do those commercialization support programs provide? Sure. Um, I think that I am, um, to be honest, I am crediting a lot that uh, what I'm doing with uh, Lux. Um, I mean, I am, in general, I'm a lucky person. Um, when I first came to Canada, I have no idea that Nanomedicine Innovation Network uh, exists. Um, but then I am who I am. I just like um, talk to different people. I got uh, in touch with uh, person A and then person A. Um, put me in touch with person B and then the person B who happened to know that, hey, nanomedicine has a, a new uh, program called commercialization advisory board. And then actually that's how they found my previous experience with Fracture Power useful for them. Um, so in terms of um, commercialization support uh, that nanomedicine um, is creating, um, I would say that from my perspective, Nanomedicine is relatively new. Uh, it's actually founded by Peter Collis and uh, Gilbert, um, obviously from um, who is the one of the original co-inventor of the lipid nanoparticle 
um, here in Vancouver and also in in Toronto. Um, LNP has been there for a long time, but then people did not know about it until COVID, right? Uh, Moderna vaccine as well as um, um, Pfizer uh, BioNTech. I also, I mean, I always using the LNP uh, technology to uh, deliver. So it is my job to work with other people within the community, academia, um, strategic partner, in order to look at how this field can be further applicable in in other area. So not just vaccine. We are talking about um, therapeutic area. We are talking about personalized medicine. So it could be anything. And my small contribution would be to look at each, each and every market and then see in the future, not one year, two years, in one decade, two decades, what would be the good commercialization opportunity for that particular technology. Mm-hmm. That's that's super fascinating work in terms of being able to figure out which, basically replicating your work with uh, Flex Power and the different, I guess, pieces of work that you managed to string together um, or ideas that you strung together with the tech transfer office from way back in the earlier part of your career. But more specifically, uh, once you've identified these companies that have the potential to make a massive impact with their tech, what do you do to support them? Oh, I do everything to support them. And then I do what I can. And then uh, um, I'm pretty lucky, again, I'm lucky um, to be able to potentially help uh, uh, the company, not only with my expertise, but then also with some cash as well. So mm-hmm. um, um, you probably know already that I am also um, enjoy investing. And then when I meet the founder, inspiring founder who dream big and execute small, I love that founder. I would love to put in some angel investment money for them. Mm-hmm. So you're talking expertise, network, customers, cash, basically everything that a startup needs to succeed uh, from beyond the kind of incubatory period. Uh, from an institution, correct? Yes, that is correct. Great. Okay. So you've you've worn a million hats and you continue to do so, but you've ended up now with bio bioplastics and listener it's it's B U Y O Bioplastics. I'm not repeating bio twice for no reason. Um so how did this work? Eventually end up with that group. Um, so uh, bio-bioplastic is actually a, um accidental for me. So uh, when I make a decision that uh, I am exiting from uh, my former company, Fletcher Power, then I um, put a um, literally like a um, like an ad on my social saying that I am exiting from my previous company. And then it has been a um, great and wonderful time. I decided that I want to um, take a step back and then not doing anything for a couple of years. Running a startup is hard. So I'm not opening to work on another company. However, when people seeing that I am taking uh, the step back from Fletcher Power, a couple of them actually reach out and then saying that, hey, Ling, I saw that you are uh, 
no longer working full time for twelve hour. I'm I'm having this project. Can you can you help me out a little bit? And then bio bioplastic is is one of them. Uh, the more I'm uh, interacting with the team, the more I am um, learning that polycraft that is a huge that is a big world out there that I do not know. Um, so originally, um, the vision is still there. We want to uh, work on the circular economy. We want to reduce the plastic consumption um, everywhere uh, around the world. And then at the same time, um, my son, who is 10, go to public school here in Vancouver. And then one of the biggest problems that um, he is seeing, he would love to reduce the plastic consumption as well. So actually, this is um, one of the, um, I would say, father and son um, summer project last year um, for me. And then uh, it turns out that I, I love this project more than I originally thought. And then actually, whenever my son is going out there and then talking with other people, um, he always said that this is my dad. He's doing everything he can in order to reduce the plastic consumption. And every time I hear about it, um, to be honest, um, tears going out my eyes because we are doing everything we can in order to preserve the planet in the next not only decade, but then century. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I have read absolutely terrifying things about the exponentially increasing amount of plastics that we use and microplastics that are accumulating uh, everywhere in our environment, as well as disrupting endocrine systems, etc. So it is uh, panic-inducing, to say the least. Uh, to connect that back to healthcare and health tech, if any of you listeners have ever been in an OR, you, you, you've seen the one to three trash bags worth of plastic, to say the least, that leaves the OR after every OR. Multiply that by about maybe 30 ORs in a single large institution, times 365 days a year, times 12, and you see that you basically produce a massive mountain of plastic that should be reduced because, you know, healthcare does have a massive impact. That is to say, I mean, I, I really look forward to the work that you're doing with bio bioplastics, but maybe I've, I've, I've taken away some of your thunder there. Maybe I assume too much, but what other implications do you see in the adoption of bios products in the healthcare market overall in? Yeah, mm -hmm. you are not um, taking any thunder or then um, basically you're not making uh, any assumption because one plus one equal two is always like that. Healthcare, um, market or healthcare industry definitely contribute a lot in the disposable um, uh, product and then uh, gown and then um, um, shoe cover and then glove, all, all of those things. But then to be honest, PPE is there to protect doctors, to protect healthcare professional. So it is my job, it is our job at Bio in order to come up with the product that protect everyone, right? So basically we need to come up with the next generation uh, product, circular economy, all of those things, in order to help protecting um, the nurse, protecting the healthcare professional, but at the same time, not um, creating any any more disposable, any um, huge plastic for for the planet. So I really hope that over the next five years, biotechnology would 
be able to offer the product for the healthcare market. Mm-hmm. And I certainly hope so too. We've talked at length about one of the main projects that you're working on right now. But other than that, do you have any pluggables to plug and any ideas that you want to share that others can reach out to you for? Sure. Yeah. Um, I think that uh, I am now in my mid 30s. So I think that uh, when I am mid 30s, the, uh, you're young. Or mid 30s, you're young. <laughs> yes. Yes. But then to be honest, I used to run a sub marathon, a sub four marathon very easily. Come on. I was sore yesterday running a 4.15. So I think that my next challenge for this summer is to actually put myself back on training way more. So, um, uh, Jeffrey, I can uh, beat you in the next marathon. That's my hope. All right. All right. All right. Challenge accepted. Okay. Thanks so much for the challenge. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of How It's Med. If you liked what you heard, the best way to support us is to go to your podcast platform, be it Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, whatever you like, and to give us a rating and a recommendation or a comment so that others can best find us. If you can't do that, then we'd really appreciate it if you could share your favorite episode with those that you care about and who you think would find our work interesting. Till next time.